I debated whether or not to, uh, to share this word, not because I doubt God giving it to me, but sometimes we look at things and we're like, that is such a simple, um, simple message. That's something that the people have heard so many times. But um, there's a reason God gives us certain things. And I want to share a story that's probably uh, quite familiar to, to most of you in here. But maybe there's a couple things that we need to be reminded of. How many of you know that sometimes in life, the things that we're the most familiar with are the things that we need to be reminded of the most? Sometimes we take those things for granted. We forget about those things. And so I think that sometimes we just need to, to be reminded of some things. And, and here recently, Pastor Josh has been talking to me and probably some other people about some things he, he wants to start talking about and sharing with the church. And one of those things um, that he's been studying and talking about is living inside of a biblical or a Christian worldview. And that is simply um, the way that uh, we interact with or um, view the culture around us. And as Christ followers, if we are living inside of a biblical worldview, then we should probably be reflecting our life in Christ. And so in him talking about that and bringing that up, there are some things that I thought about that um, I personally have been striving to work on. So I figured I might share it with you, and maybe there's a couple nuggets in here that, that you can grab a hold of and, and run with. But um, I just want to say, if there's a title, it would be Worship Plus Prayer Equals Freedom. So tonight I'm going to be talking about Worship Plus Prayer Equals Freedom. And I want to start with this. When I was in Bible college, um, I remember there was, there was a chapel service that I was at, and I walked in, and the music started... And um, really, really soon into the song, the guitarist guitar went out of tune. And as soon as the guitar was out of tune, I, I was completely lost. My mind was off of worship, and my mind was focused on this guy. And I was staring him down, thinking, if I stare hard enough, he'll realize that his guitar's out of tune, and he'll do something about it. But it never happened. And um, I got so frustrated because all I could focus on, I wasn't focusing on the words about Jesus or about the, the worship that was supposed to be taking place. I was focused on a, a, a misused guitar string. And I got up and I walked out of the room. I'm like, I just can't handle that. Pretty soon after me walking out of the room, God said, what in the world are you thinking, boy? This isn't about the guitar string. This is about you. It wasn't an ear condition. It was a heart condition. Yes, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I believe completely in excellence. I believe in doing things to the best of our abilities. But this was an issue that I was having. It was, it was almost a legalistic issue within me. And, and I started thinking about that. And, and pretty soon I realized that worship isn't just about a piano, about a guitar, about a songbook, about a screen, about a hipster-looking dude standing up here playing a guitar on a Sunday morning. It's, it's a lifestyle that's maintained from the moment we become Christ followers through eternity. Um, it's preparation for heaven. It's getting us ready to live through everlasting life. Worship isn't about the posture of our body, but the position of our hearts. If our hearts aren't positioned properly through obedience, through faithfulness, through trust, 
through righteousness, through love, through seeking God, through prayer, through proper studying of Christian, through all of those things, the list goes on and on and on. If, if our hearts aren't positioned properly, then our posture is never going to matter. Our posture needs to reflect how God has changed our hearts. With that, I want to read um, Acts, we'll say Acts 19 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, um, Acts 19 through 34. And again, like I said earlier, it's a popular story. We've, we've heard it many times. It's an account of Paul and Silas. But I just want to read from the NIV. Um, pick up where uh, Paul and Silas had just um, gotten arrested for casting the spirit out of the slave girl. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped down and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, everyone say midnight. Everyone say midnight. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Again, if our hearts aren't positioned properly, then our posture won't matter. Our posture needs to reflect how God has changed our hearts. Worship isn't about the posture of our body, but the position of our hearts. Worship is probably the absolutely last thing on earth. Um, or, excuse me, worship when it feels like it's the absolutely last thing on earth you feel like doing. Um, sometimes we come to church and we're just dragging. We just, we just don't feel God feel good, but we need to worship when it's the last thing on earth we feel like doing. The worship of Paul and Silas was not simply singing. There was prayer going on, but there was also the matter of maintaining that positive attitude. Um, I want to give just a little background into this before we, before we really grab hold of some things. I want to give some background about how they were treated. Um, it, was, it was late at night when this, this midnight thing took place. Um, the Bible's not too specific on what time they were placed in jail. Um, we, we know it was, it's highly likely that it was mid-afternoon. Um, so, so most likely, I don't know, anywhere between noon and three. But we are told that it was around midnight um, when they began praising and worshiping God. They had been ridiculed. They had been beaten. 
Um, we know in, according to verse 23, it said they had been stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. So um, by law, the Jews could not place more than 40 lashes on, on someone they whipped, although they usually stopped at 39. We know this, the, the case of Jesus Christ right before he was crucified, they stopped at 39. Rome, however, had no laws like that. Um, they were unrestricted in the amount of lashes they placed on someone, and usually the one receiving the beating was at the mercy of the person giving the beating. And in many cases, the crueler the judge, the more severe the beating. Um, it often had to do with the nature of the crime. And so because of the crime that Paul and Silas had committed, and chances are they were accused more of, of preaching against, against Roman culture than um, the issue of the slave girl. Yes, the, the spirit was cast out. Yes, the owners lost um, finances. But they were more concerned about them preaching against Rome. They were, they were most likely beaten to the full measure. Paul may re be referring to this in 2 Corinthians 11 when he said, um, I've been flogged more severely than anyone in stripes beyond measure of moderation. The bottom line is we know they were beaten pretty bad. They were, they were beaten up. They were, they were hurt. They were um, flogged. They were in a lot of pain. And we know that they were immediately um, taken to prison. There was no, no judicial hearing. There was no due process. They were immediately taken. As soon as they were beat up, as soon as all this went down, they were immediately taken to the, to the inner cell, to the prison. This is what most of us will think of as a dungeon. Um, it was very dark, most likely very cold. It was very dirty. There wasn't a lot of light. There wasn't a lot of fresh air. It was very musty, very nasty. Most likely it would have been um, rat and bug infested. Just not a very pleasant place to be. And this is where Paul and Silas were spending their evening. Their feet um, were fastened in stocks. We read that they had, they had been fastened in stocks. We read this and think that um, I've seen a few shows on TV, so I know what stocks generally are. It's probably something like some chains coming out of the wall with a little bit of slack um, that allowed Paul and Silas the luxury to be able to sit back and kind of lean against the wall and just be a little bit comfortable. Maybe a little bit of movement. Maybe the ability to, to move around. Maybe stand up, get on their feet. But that's probably not the case. Their stocks in those, those times weren't only used as tools to confine or to lock them down. They were also devices of, of torture, of, of pain. And um, the stocks could have been, most likely were wooden, wooden bound um, and iron with holes that stretched apart to stretch out their feet. The holes could have been placed at different distances in different sizes and different shapes. They could have been stretching out their legs, spreading their legs. Um, in, in some cases, they could have been in the splits. Um, just some very uncomfortable twisting of the legs or the feet and angles that your legs just aren't supposed to go. Because of this, they, they most likely had to lie on the ground unable to sit or stand. The way the stocks were positioned didn't allow them to lie on their stomachs. It made them to lie on their backs. And Keep in mind, we had just been flogged. These, these backs are probably raw. These backs are, are mutated. These backs are, are bleeding and exposed. And to top this off, we know 
that the wounds had not yet been cleaned or bandaged. It wasn't until later that the jailer, after his encounter, had taken them to his house and cleaned them up and, and washed them off. So, so here we have two men who are in these stocks that are extremely uncomfortable. Who knows what kind of angles their legs are in? Who knows what kind of position their body's in? They're laying on the ground. Their backs are shredded. And um, we've already talked about how disgusting this, this dungeon is. So there's probably, um, no telling what's on the ground, uh, straw, rocks, dust, dirt, fecal matter, anything you can imagine that is exposing um, to their back. Think about whenever you, you just get a little cut on your finger and you get like a splinter in that cut. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say that. It hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Or when you fall and hit your knee in the gravel and there's all those little black pieces of gravel that you have to pull out. Those, those are not pleasant. And so here's these guys whose backs are just shredded apart and they're just laying in this nastiness. Um, they had been pos- positioned in these stocks for, for some time. We don't know what the period of time was, but we know according to the tenses of the words, praying and singing, that the praying and singing was not, it was not something that they started doing at midnight, but something they'd been doing perpetually throughout the day and continued doing into the evening. It wasn't something that started when the bad started. It was something that they'd already been doing. It was something they'd already been practicing. It was something that had been part of their day and part of their life leading up to this moment. They had been doing this perpetually through the day and continued doing it until the evening Midnight was the point when the prayers were answered. I want you to get that. Midnight was the point when the prayers were answered. This wasn't the point that they started praising. This wasn't the point that they started calling out to God. This was the point that God heard them, or excuse me, that God answered what he already heard. It was not a case of lying there and wondering what they should do and then suddenly realizing that they needed to start praising God. Instead, it was an immediate, instead it was an immediate And it was the first thing they did. Praying and singing to God was their default response. I wish and I pray and I ask God that that be my default response to to bad times. That be my default response to good times. That be my default response to times in general. So often, I'll just be coasting through life and it's, it's, it's not until something's going on that I remember I need to be seeking God. And I pray that that changes. I pray that, that God just interrupts and impacts me in such a powerful way that that be my default response to life. They were most likely physically done. Keep in mind, this, this day they'd been severely flogged, they'd been beaten, they'd been shackled, they'd been thrown in jail, they were laying in this nastiness. Personally, after the first beating... I would have probably gone into shock. I would have been done. I would have been done. But these guys kept focusing. They kept moving forward. They kept their eyes on Jesus, and they kept singing and praying. They had so many different reasons to be fearful. They had no idea how long they were going to be imprisoned. They had no idea what was coming tomorrow morning. Was round two going to happen tomorrow morning? Were they going to get beat again? But they weren't shaken and they were content in their suffering. Philippians 4, Paul says, he shares what, that he's learned to be content in all circumstances. He says, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter how much money I have, no matter how tough the circumstance is, no matter how much or how little I have to eat, there is nothing that will take me away from being content, being satisfied, being happy, being, being, 
being um, good in the circumstances I'm in. They were completely satisfied, and they had done what God had wanted. They had done no wrong, and they had, had, they had done their, their duty. There was no room for regret or self-pity. A side note, if you do what God has asked you to do, and you've done it with, with a right heart, regardless of the response you get, <clears throat> you have no reason to feel down. I want to say that again. I hear, I hear guys a lot of times that are speaking or, or maybe they feel like God has told them to, to go speak into a person's life and, um, and they know that they know that they know that the Spirit of God has spoken to them and they, they go to that person and they're like, hey, I, I just feel like God is telling me to tell you this and the person just stares at them. And then they feel stupid. They just feel dumb. They're like, did I totally like mishear God or, or am I just an idiot or what? And I know, I know I can say that because I've done that several times. But I want you to know, if, if it's God that tells you to do something and you're doing it with the right heart, regardless of the response, you have no reason to feel down. One of my best friends, I remember um, 20 plus years ago, I, I, God kept saying, you got to talk to him, you got to talk to him. And I'm like, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't. I can stand in front of a group, but I'm not going to talk to this guy. Finally, I, God won out. And I remember talking to Brian one night, and I remember telling him about God, and he just kind of looked at me and said, hey, I appreciate it, thanks. Let's start running again. And I was like, for real? For real? Did I just miss out on God? But it's cool because two year, uh, about five years ago, Brian texted me, and he said, hey, bro, I just want you to know that... Uh, um, all those times you talked to me and all those times you prayed for me, I, I just want you to know it wasn't, it wasn't in vain because I just accepted Jesus last week. And I was like, yes! And the, the two months before I started working here, Brian called me and said, hey, I want you to baptize me. So just remember, just because of the, don't um, determine their response or don't determine what you do based on their response because once you plant that seed, that seed is planted. In spite of their condition, Paul and Silas let go of what was happening and focused on what could happen. They were, they were able to worship in dreadful circumstances because they had been praising him during the good times. This wasn't the first persecution, and it wasn't going to be the last. This wasn't the first time God had done something great. It happened everywhere they went. What they were currently going through didn't matter. All that mattered was living a life in which they could glorify God in all they did. I, I think about, I wasn't here last week, but I, I read the service, and I know that Pastor Sean, um, I think, introduced a song to you guys, a song that's on the radio right now, a song, uh, it's called Raise a Hallelujah. Did he do that song last Sunday morning, Raise a Hallelujah? And I was, I was listening to that song today, and it's so cool, and I'm thinking about Paul and Silas, and I'm thinking about them singing, and I'm thinking about them waking these prisoners up, and, and interrupting these other guys' sleep, and, and not caring about it, and, and the lyrics, I can, I can see Paul singing this song in the presence of mine enemies louder than the of unbelief I will raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm you're gonna hear my praises louder you're gonna hear my praises louder the bigger the storm the louder my praise the harder the situation the louder my praise the greater the obstacle the louder my praise and I can see him getting louder and louder and louder singing raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief We don't need a reason to praise or worship God except that he gave us life. A true worshiper at any given opportunity does not need some horizontal stimulus from the pastor or worship leader before entering into praise. 
We've got to get to a point where we can stir up our own souls when it's time to worship the Lord. We must motivate ourselves to praise and enter enthusiastically into the worship service. I know, trust me, I know, there are times we come to church, we just heard some devastating news, we're exhausted, the work week has just worked us over, we're frustrated, we're tired, there are times we come to, to, to church sick, we can't even stand up because we're so weak, there are times we're just completely frustrated. I get that, church. I know there's lots of stuff going on. There's a thousand and one reasons why we don't always praise, but the responsibility to worship must inevitably return to us. God never told us to praise if you like the style of worship. God never told us to praise when a song that you really like comes on. God never said praise if you feel like it. Scripture says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Psalms 34.1. We hear a lot about being a sacrifice before God, but a sacrifice is not a sacrifice until it costs something. Praise and worship, church, is not a sacrifice. It's something we do because we want to. Because we worship because what Jesus has done for us is greater than the bad that's been done to us. I'm going to repeat that. We worship because what Jesus has done for us is greater than the bad that has been done to us. James 5.13 says, Is there anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. We praise when we're happy. We worship when we're happy. But we also do it when we don't feel like it. Psalms 42.5 says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I guarantee, church, had Paul and Silas based their worship, based their praise on how they felt, absolutely no way they would have been praying, singing, or maintaining a right attitude. They did it simply because God is worthy of their praise. They worshiped because what Jesus has done for them is greater than the bad that's been done to them. Psalm 48.1 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Some people say that um, praise is simply emotionalism. That, oh, you just go to church to get some goosebumps. You just go to church to get a little bit worked up and to, to, to get a little bit of a, of, of a funky feeling there. It's, it's not real. Emotionalism surfaces when we enter into praise only when we feel like it and stop praising when we don't feel like it. Not praising when you feel like it is true emotionalism. This follows what your emotions are telling you to do. Your emotions are dictating what you do. That's what emotionalism is. Praise or worship, on the other hand, is a discipline that requires us choosing to worship regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what our emotions are telling us to do. True praise is the opposite of emotionalism. We praise God whether we feel like it or not. Paul and Silas both realized, now, right now, regardless of what we're going to, right now, laying in this bed of nastiness, right now with our backs ripped up, right now with these, these shackles on our legs and on our hands, right now is a great, a great time to praise the Lord. Sometimes I, I see Christians justify their lack of praise like this. Well, uh, Lord, you know I gave you everything I had last Sunday morning. 
I really worship with all my heart. And, and so, you know, you'll understand, Lord, if I'm, I'm just kind of tired right now. And I think I'll just sit this one out. I'm going to let somebody else do my praise. That girl over there, she's dancing a jig. She's going she's gonna to give enough for both of us. Truly, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. Since I gave so much last time, I know you're not going to mind me relaxing today. I've also talked to people, I brought this up in the first service this morning. I've talked to people who incorrectly believe they've quote-unquote arrived because of the years they've put in. They no longer need to go through the ritual, so to speak, the pomp and circumstance. They don't need to to actively worship. They don't need to to, to seek God um, in, in, in in an active way. This couldn't be farther from the truth. The closer to God you get, the more you should want to praise him. The closer to God we are, the more we should want to praise him. That's one of the things that, I'm, that, that I love about this, this group of people in here is that you haven't allowed your, um, your maturity in, in Christ or your years serving Christ to dictate the way you, you worship God. You worship him um, with passion and you worship him actively and you chase after him. And I love that about you guys. But there are people out there, no one in here of course, but there are people out there who use that as an excuse to not worship God. But those thoughts, I wonder, did these thoughts ever go through Paul and Silas's minds? Don't ever be convinced, church, that you can or will earn a day off from, from worship and praise. You can't store up and live on a Sunday morning's praise for an entire week. In the same way that the human body cannot store up vitamin C, um, which is either used or burned up pretty quick, we can't store up praise. Now's the time to praise the Lord. Worship was probably the last thing in the world that Paul and Silas felt like doing, but to them it was the most sensible, the most reasonable, the most right thing to do. There was nothing else even during that time of suffering they would rather do than to show their love to God. Had they looked at their situation, relied on their emotions, or thought about the timing, it would not have happened. Instead, they simply said, great is the Lord and worthy of our praise. During this entire ordeal, the other prisoners in the jail um, were listening to and noticing what Paul and Silas were doing. And I want to say this, when you start... um, when you talk the talk, you better walk the walk because people notice how you respond to, to bad situations. If uh, you're always talking about Jesus, if you're always witnessing to people, if you're always sharing his love and his greatness and what he's capable of doing to change their lives, but then when the bottom drops out of your world and that love of Jesus suddenly changes, people are going to notice that. But they're also going to notice and they're going to be watching Whenever the bottom drops out of your world and you continue to lift your hands, no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it is, and you say, Jesus, no matter what happens in my life, I continue to worship you, I continue to serve you, I continue to chase after you, and I continue to give you everything I have, they're going to notice that too. There was nothing else, even during that time of suffering, they'd rather do than to show their love to God. God used them in that place starting the second they were imprisoned. They were, they were in a place where the prisoners may have never heard the gospel, but because of Paul and Silas's willingness, the prisoners not only heard, but saw the power of God. They may have been woken up, they may have been um, making fun of Paul and Silas, but they could not, could, not, could not deny what Paul and Silas were doing. Now for just the next couple minutes, let's focus on what happened right after Paul and Silas prayed, worshipped, and maintained a right attitude. The first thing is, we see, is it suddenly occurred. In Acts 16.26, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
suddenly. It wasn't something that had to build up. It wasn't something that gradually happened. It was something that happened. It was a suddenly. Paul and Silas um, had long before let go of what was happening and focused on what would happen. It wasn't even a question of what could happen with them. They knew when they started worshiping that God would bring freedom. The only question was when. Breaking the chains that bind you. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. One of the keys to chains breaking was the preparation that Paul and Silas had gone through prior to them ever becoming imprisoned. They didn't begin praising God because they couldn't think of anything else to do. They did it because that is the way they lived their lives. It is what they did. It was their default response to life. They had spent so much time in prayer. They had spent much time in worship. They had spent much time reading scriptures. They were in complete submission to what God wanted. And I want to say this, submission is different from surrender. Surrender involves having no other choice, but submission is a yielding of the heart. It's an action freely given through love. I remember when I first started uh, youth ministry, and um, I was young and dumb, and I didn't have a clue what I was talking about half the time. I just thought I sounded cool, but I never did. I look back and I'm like, what a moron. But um, I remember something I used to tell kids when I was talking about worship, and I would say, here's how you worship, guys. You've got to lift your hands up. And if you don't feel like lifting your hands up, you've got to surrender. And sometimes surrender means if a guy comes up behind you with a gun and he sticks his gun in your back and he says, surrender, what are you going to do? I'm going to lift my hands up. And that's how I would tell them to praise. I look back at that and I'm like, what an idiot. How stupid was I? Because it's not being forced. It's not being coerced into doing something. True surrender and submission to God is when we freely give him what he wants from us. Um, Because of their love for Christ, they had chosen to prepare through prayer. A lot of times, um, Christians or pastors or or worship leaders might ask questions, what can we do when there is a heaviness in people um, holding them back from entering into what their hearts truly desire? A spiritual heaviness that's there. How do, we, how do we deal with that? How do we get rid of that? What do we do? What are we supposed to say? How do we, what do we tell those people? The answer is to begin gathering before the service ever begins and to begin calling out on God, proceeding to do battle on behalf of God's people. If Satan has bound God's people in their freedom to worship, then the chains have got to be broken. I'm not talking about a two-minute prayer. I'm not talking about saying grace before, before lunch. Um, I'm not talking about a prayer that the praise band uh, mumbles through really quick right before they get on stage. This is a prayer that has been prayed specifically for that service for a week, for two weeks, for a month, for a year. It's a group of people who are calling out to God in unity and agreement in attack mode. It's a group of people who are not willing to let Satan have any kind of ground. It's a group of people who are determined to see the kingdom of God perpetuated throughout the area. It's a group of people who won't back down. It's a group of people who believe in the power of prayer. This is the kind of prayer our church has been praying every single Wednesday night. This is a prayer that becomes the foundation of everything we do. This is the prayer that fundamentally changes our DNA as a church. This is a prayer that changes lives. This is the kind of prayer I'm talking about that will change the area and the people and the group and the church around you. Get the shackles off God's people. Football season started. How many of you guys are Chiefs fans? Any Chiefs fans in here? One of you. Wow. You guys are pretty vocal. Um, There's a there's something, uh, so, so these football players have been working out for the last uh, couple um, months or, or whatever. And, and one of the things I think is really unique is um, in, an, in, 
in an effort to, to be faster and quicker and to be stronger when they're moving forward, a lot of times they'll take rubber resistance bands and, and wrap up their ankles and it'll be anchored to something and they'll take off running and only so far or so hard or so fast they can move when they're anchored to this, um, this thing behind them with these, these rubber bands. But once these things are removed, after having run with those resistance bands on for so long, when they finally remove them and they take off, they can run so much faster, so much stronger, and so much quicker. And, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about how the shackles need to be taken off the people so that once those shackles are removed, they can move with everything God has placed inside of them. They can move, they can knock down the obstacles, they can knock down the enemy, they can knock down the things that, that Satan has tried to place in front of them so they can move the way that God intended for them to be moved. we got to get the shackles off, people. Paul and Silas had gone to Philippi to preach the gospel, to see people saved, and to see the bondage removed off people's lives. Psalms 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. When you praise God together, he inhabits your praise. Because corporate praise involves the power of agreement, there is tremendous spiritual power generated. But in order for that power to be accessed, we have to fall on our faces and begin calling out to God, like a lot of you have been doing. And Pastor um, talks about this all the time. He talks about the momentum and the direction and the increase that has been occurring in our church. And he um, directly says it's because of the prayers that you've been praying, praying. And that's exactly what it is. The prayers that are occurring on Wednesday nights that have fundamentally become the DNA of our church are what's turning everything around and changing things. That's what's causing the bondages to fall off. That's what's causing the chains to break. That's what's causing people's lives to be changed. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This verse is conditional upon us doing what God has asked us to do. We all know that every action needs and or produces an opposite and equal reaction. Paul and Silas realized this also. If they were to make an impact, if they were to change the world if they were to upset the direction that that prison was supposed to go, if they were, supposed to, if they were going to change lives in um, the other prisoners' lives, if they were going to do something to impact the jailer, if they were to make an impact, they must be humbled, they must be prayed up, they must be repentant, and all of these things are a direct result of their submission to Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Our weapons are mighty, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul practiced what he preached in that Philippian jail. He literally pulled down the strongholds by the power of God, by the power of praise. He launched the weapons of God, and the foundations of the prison was shaken. He called out with Scripture in the name of Jesus through the pleading of the blood of Jesus over that place. The earthquake symbolized God's power, and the loosening of the bonds is symbolic of the Christ they preached. The message they preached showed deliverance to the captives and the opening of the doors to those who were bound. The prisoners there listened to everything they heard with surprise, wondering what could cause these two men who had been treated so horribly to respond and to act so lovingly. When we testify to Christ, when we uplift Jesus, 
our testimony will draw men to Christ. They may not be saved, but they will be drawn by the Holy Spirit. There is drawing power in your testimony. And just like that, um, maybe they aren't saved, but just like my buddy, 20 years later, calls me up and says, bro, thank you for never giving up on me. Even though I didn't listen to you, even though I blew you off, even though I didn't really want to hear what you had to say, thank you because now my life's changed. There is drawing power in your testimony. Paul and Silas testified through worship, and through this, the other prisoners experienced the power of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When God's power arrives, everything else has to take its place. Spirits are bound, bonds are broken, and freedom comes.